All right. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. We're back. After We're a back. Week Welcome off. back. Hope yeah. you had a nice week off. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about what's happening here today. We've got a vaccination program, a rollout this afternoon. Yeah, big announcement this afternoon. Dr. Bonnie Henry, Dr. Penny Ballam, who's in charge of the vaccination program, and Health Minister Adrian Dix. <clears throat> so this new vaccine's about to arrive. The Moderna um, Omicron bivalent uh, vaccine, which is different than the other ones. This is more effective against Omicron. It's still effective against the original strain, but it seemed is more effective against Omicron, which is the dominant strain of COVID-19 that's circulating in the community. It's likely to circulate at higher levels in the respiratory illness season, which we're now approaching, which is uh, the aim now is to get as many people vaccinated with this as possible. Um We've got about 4.5 million people have received one dose, about 4.3 million have received two doses, which is basically everyone who got one dose has got two doses. But the real challenge is getting people their booster dose. Uh, and that's only, what this is. This is a booster shot campaign, basically. It depends where you're at. in, in the For most pe- vast majority of people, it's a booster shot. Right. But it sure. could be the first dose for some people who have yet to receive a single dose. Right. There's about 200,000 people who got one dose, haven't got a second dose. But those are largely uh, kids, children. Uh, and this is this vaccine is only, um, only people age 18 and over are eligible for this. But that could change, just as the other ones changed in terms of allowing younger people to get it. So a big information cam- public information campaign will kick off today. Uh, and we're basically going back to where we were at the beginning. We've only been you know, at the peak, I think we were... About 60,000, 70,000 doses a week were being administered. Uh, that's trickled down to about 4,000 a, a week as uh, basically we've hit a wall on third doses and wh- who are getting the doses now are people, uh, kids basically. But that's even at a low level. Only 58%, I think, of kids 5 to 11 have a single dose, but those numbers should increase. Okay, we'll be watching for that announcement this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Where are we at right now, would you say, tip, generally speaking, in British Columbia with COVID? Like, it, it feels like, it just feels like we're sort of back to nor- near normal yeah. right now. And it's weird to hear stories like 65 million people locked down in China. It is. COVID. It's, uh, I just, I get my New York Times update every day uh, for the states, and they reported an 8% decrease in yeah. cases from day to day, and that's been that's been a trend that's continuing. Our numbers are are going down, um, but they're not disappearing. COVID is still out there, but it's milder for most people. Yeah, right. But the respiratory illness season brings into factors that aren't in play normally, and that's uh, that's the concern that you could see an uptick of cases, an uptick of hospitalizations. But thankfully, we're not. We we've got a decrease in hospitalizations, decrease in ICUs. Uh, this is largely still a worry for uh, older people over the age of 70 and 80 with co- compromised immune systems. And those people will be in the priority categories to get this vaccine sooner than most people. So it's people over the age of 70, uh, people with co- uh, vulnerable immune systems or compromised immune systems, healthcare workers are also front of the line, and in the indigenous population. First guest on the show this morning was, uh, or in the first hour, was the president of the BC School Trustees Association. Day one, back to school mm-hmm. today. Teachers at the bargaining table. What are you hearing on contract talks here between the government and public sector unions? What's encouraging is what we're not hearing. Oh. In previous contract rounds, there would be memos from the BCTF leadership to the members talking about sort of being very negative, <laughs> asking people to prepare for you know potential job action, talk yeah. of a strike vote. None of that's happening, yeah. which is encouraging. It could happen, but the fact the hospital employees union mm-hmm. has signed a ten- or about to sign a tentative agreement is very encouraging because that can be a template 
for other unions. And I have to say the VCTF uh, leadership is not espousing the same rhetoric we saw in previous contract rounds. It's it's not saber rattling. It's basically let's get a let's get a deal done here. But the VCGU has yet to inexplicably has yet to sign a deal or reach a tentative agreement, even though they were very close and they took the picket lines down. And you don't yeah. see a union take a picket line down yeah. unless it's pretty sure it's got a deal. But I think there's reason to be encouraged uh, by what's going on. Okay, let's talk about the PNE. Yes. And uh, on your last appearance on the show, we talked about your memories working mm-hmm. on the Midway for many summers at the PNE. And the PNE has just wound down. They had about a 75% turnout compared to sort of pre COVID numbers for the PNE, which I guess is not bad. Like it's being, it's being portrayed as a success. Mm-hmm. There was some controversy around the, the limit, the, uh, the limits uh, on the grounds of the yeah. PNE, like there, we talked to parents on the show here who couldn't get they, ride they tickets made, for their kids. They made some decisions a long time ago uh, about crowd limits, crowd yeah. sizes, uh, buildings open, buildings closed, which I think other businesses have sort of been more adaptable and evolving uh, as the situation has evolved. So decisions made a year ago, uh, if that was what it was, my understanding it was it was a number of months ago these decisions were made are really not applicable to today. I mean, the COVID situation a year ago was a lot different than it is today. It's it's a lot safer today than it was a year ago. I, I wonder whether, in retrospect, they should have uh, been a little more open to changing right. some of the rules. Let's have a listen to Shelley Frost here as the president of the PNE. Here's what she had to say. It's an easy decision to not do it and, you know, just, you know, taking the money kind of thing. But we start planning a year in advance and we didn't know what the COVID footprint was going to look like. We didn't know what restrictions are going to look like. We didn't know what staffing resources were going to be available. Everybody talks about recruitment and retention. Um, And so we had to make some hard decisions about what we thought we could reasonably do. Okay, so and she also said it's not obviously not going to be permanent. And I suspect we'll see larger crowds at next year's PNE. Yeah, unless COVID gets completely out of hand and no yeah. one's expecting that but yeah, yeah i think peony will be back to normal next year with no limits and you know no restrictions but yeah. again we don't know but i think the odds favor that scenario more than any like other. it was interesting to hear them say well we decided all this stuff a year ago so we couldn't i don't know why they couldn't adapt the plan exactly I don't, i'm I don't not know. sure other businesses have adapted uh, now that's a pretty big business having yeah. said that i mean there's thousands of people who are employed there um and you do have staff shortages there, just like you do in every other sector. So it's it's not necessarily waving a magic wand and making it all go back to, to normal. But again, I think in retrospect, there probably could have been some adjustments. Okay. But it's great great that they succeeded. I mean, yeah. as you know, I'm a P&E fan. Yeah, for sure. And I think that lar- it was largely successful. Yeah. I mean, there were some people who were disappointed they couldn't get ride tickets for their kids. Last night in the news that's, hour, that's disappointing, but I think overall pretty successful. We had a great shot last night on the news hour. Yvonne Schall, one of our meteorologists, holding a candy floss that was the size of her oh really which i thought was pretty good <laughs> okay okay where were you 50 years ago today i know what i was doing i was in school now yeah. not so we're talking about the summit series uh, 1972 canada ussr the hockey series don't of remember all series. where i was when the winnipeg the game in winnipeg um played that was the game today. That was 4-4 four, four tie, I believe. 50 years ago today, we're talking about there's a big celebration going on about the 50-year mm-hmm. anniversary of this series. There are eight games, four in Canada, four in the four in the USSR. And 50 years ago today was game three. It was held in Winnipeg. Game one, the Russians won. Remember they won like 7-3? Seven, seven, yeah, and that shocked everyone. Like everyone was stunned because everyone expected Canada to just roll over the Russians. You know what? I actually made money on that 
betting with my with my schoolmates. I said Russia's going to win. Having done some, you were of the, betting when you were like ten years old. Oh yeah, we're talking quarters. Oh okay, you know. Um, but I, doing some of the read up uh, on it, a lot of the sort of dispassionate hockey writers saying, "Wait a minute, Russia's got exactly. these are pretty good, pretty good yeah. players." And Canada, typical, uh, came into that series a little out of shape. They went yeah. to training camp, but they weren't taking it super seriously, and it showed. Um, even though Canada scored the first couple goals, I believe yeah. Russia just patiently wore them down, right. and it was and it took a while for Canada to get its legs in gear. Yeah, so Russia won big that game one. Canada bounced back one game too. Fifty years ago Pete today, which is end to end rush at Maple Leaf Gardens, shorthanded. Yeah, as I recall, was, yeah, which some people have said was the greatest shorthanded goal ever scored in that game too. Okay, fifty years ago today though was Game Three. It happened in Winnipeg. It ended in a four four tie. Here's a listen to a goal by a guy who scored a few goals. His name is Phil Esposito. Have a listen. Trechak had no chance. Brian Conacher there is the color man there. And also Foster, Foster Hewitt. Hewitt. Yeah. Although if you look at, um, I've gone back and watched you know tapes of the games back then. It was a really sloppy series in terms yeah. of compared to today's game, which slower. is it, it's slower. Yeah. It's, they weren't as, as fine a skater as today yeah. is. Uh, it was more flailing around. Uh, chasing the puck, not really being super organized. And today's game, I think, is uh, a lot quicker and a lot more organized. Okay, Phil Esposito was the lead scorer during the series. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, when he was playing for the Bruins, he was kind of hated. He used to call him Garbage Man Phil because yeah. he used to stand in the slot, just kind of bang in these garbage the, the, goals. The, the number one bumper sticker in Boston was Jesus saves, but Espo scores on the rebound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he did great in that series, and he really fired I remember up. Uh, and his, his great post-game interview in Vancouver yeah. with CTV's Johnny Esau Yes, at center ice, uh, where he looked absolutely drained. Uh, and, After they'd lost to the Russians again. Yeah, and he was just telling the fans, come on, you know, stop uh, jumping on us. Give us a chance here. We're trying as hard as we can. He Probably one of the great post-game interviews of all time. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, the phone lines are open. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Dave calling from Kitsilano. Hey, Dave. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. Good. Go ahead. Good, good. What I remember, 1972, grade 6, Lord Nelson Elementary School in East Vancouver, Mr. Dunn rolled in the audiovisual machine at the time, <laughs> and we got to watch the Summit Series, and I remember like like yesterday. And Keith, you're so right. You know, our pastor was a Baptist church when I was a kid. He always said, because he was a hockey fan, Jesus saves, Esposito scores in the rebound. And that's instilled <laughs> in my head. And the PE this year, the shows were fantastic. I went to three of them, and I had a great time. Great call. Yeah, uh, Smitty and I were talking off air, our memories of our teachers also wheeling, in those days, wheeling in those big TVs on these on these big stands. Yeah, yeah. Those wheels that you'd wheel them around the school. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of kids 
viewed those games on those old TVs like that. Yeah, I remember. I was in grade six. Mr. Zamora was my teacher, and I remember him wheeling in the big TV into our room. Mm-hmm. We all cheered, yes, because we're going to watch the hockey game. Yeah, we were crowded and into a ca- cafeteria at Evans Junior Secondary. It must have been 200 kids. For game eight. For game eight. For, that was yeah, game eight. for the Henderson goal. Yeah. What was that like? That was pandemonium. Yeah. Absolute pandemonium. Yeah. People just throwing chairs on the ground, banging <laughs> desks, uh, just whooping it up when, when Henderson scored that goal. Yeah, I remember standing on top of my desk in my classroom when Henderson scored that goal. I skipped school goal. to watch Game 7. Wow. A lot of people remember some, sometimes the, the schools didn't air the, a couple of the games. So I remember Game 7 watching it at my friend's house. Yeah, it's great to think about that series 50 years later. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Ian in White Rock. Hi, Ian. Hey, good morning. I'm uh, going back to the COVID at the beginning of your section here. Um, I'm getting kind of mixed messages, I think. Uh, I like to hear what Keith Baldry had to say about uh, how everything's going well and we've got this new vaccine coming on that includes the Omicron. I never know Mm -hmm. how to say that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's good. But then the other, and everything is uh, pretty good at the hospitals, may get worse. But now... Uh, I've also heard that there's um, the Americans are getting one with Omicron 5 that covers the most recent one, which is 85% of the cases in Canada, apparently. And we're only getting something that covers one, which is a has-been. And the mm-hmm. uh, thing was that I also understand, but I don't know if I'm correct, that there were twice, twice as many deaths this summer in the hospital from um, uh, from uh, the virus than there were last summer. So that's it. I'm just a little confused. Thanks for the call. So the vaccine we're getting is very effective against Omicron. Now, when it comes to deaths, it is, you raise a very good point because the way deaths are measured has changed through the pandemic because for the longest time, uh, if you died, if you had tested positive for COVID-19 30 days before your death, you were deemed to be a COVID death. Uh, and that that obviously covered a lot of people that has now changed in many and jurisdictions report these differently uh now it's report it's um no longer the measuring stick it has to be more attributable directly to covid19 to be determined as a covid death so the death numbers are a little confusing i can i grant the caller that because the the measuring methods have changed through the pandemic not just here but in many places around the globe what time are we expecting this uh vaccine announcement this afternoon? two o'clock this afternoon with dr henry dr ballam and minister dix okay looking forward to that thank you keith all right talk to you tomorrow. Or as keith baldry that is baldry's beat thanks a lot for your calls there